0: myself. Uh, My name is Chad Cruiser once again and we have a ministry called Anchor Point Films and you know we've just been really blessed to be here. One thing I was thinking about uh, in connection with the last message, this message will be a totally different message than the the former one. Uh, Not that they contradict, just different message, we're going to different subject. But uh, one thing the sister was sharing which is true, there are, there is a small group of people who uh, struggle with high amounts of sugar even in whole form most people do fine once it's in the whole form but if you happen to be part of that group one of the great things is we all have to learn how our own bodies work and if you find anything like my my poor wife is allergic to mangoes oh right you can all feel bad for my poor wife right um meaning if you find something doesn't work well with you avoid it right you know and uh, but each of us have to work with our own body. So I appreciate the input. Thank you, sister. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, but let's, let's begin our message this morning with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful. It looks like a sunny day outside, at least uh, since I came in here. Uh, we just appreciate the, the springtime that is coming, even if it is a cool spring. We just really appreciate the sun being higher up in the In the heavens, as it were, and just being brighter, the bright sunshine coming down upon us, especially when we're in Michigan, it brightens the world around us. Lord, I pray now as we look at your word, as we look at righteousness by faith in the last day context, that your Holy Spirit would guide us, that you would teach us. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, probably one of my favorite subjects is, you know, we're told that of all subjects that should be spoken of, we should repeat more often in any other subject the impossibility of man by his best works to merit salvation, right? You will never deserve to go to heaven because of your good works. Meaning, for instance, if a murderer had, uh, you know, killed someone, lived in Texas, and he's on death row, uh, he has a death sentence. Now, how many good deeds would he have to do while on death row to get rid of his death sentence? There's no amount, right? So too is salvation. No amount of good works will get rid of the wages of sin, which is death, right? We are not saved by our good works. Now, should we do good works? Absolutely. The Christian life should be filled with good works, with good words, good works, and good actions. But we are not saved by them, but rather that because we are saved, we walk in the good works that Jesus has foreordained that we should walk in, as the scripture reveals. So... God has given us an opportunity to walk in righteousness by faith. And the Bible says back in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, in verse 13, Solomon says at the end of his message, Now hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the conclusion of everything Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So he says, Fear God and keep his commandments. And those two things are not something that people kind of generally like in society, right? Fear God, that sounds scary, and keep God's commandments, I'd rather not. That's kind of normal human, you know, we don't want to follow God. But fear God and keep his commandments, that's the whole duty of man, Solomon says, the wise man says. Then in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, you have the three angels' messages, which are basically the great calling of God's people at the end of time maybe like the Magna Carta or something for the Adventists, the three angels' messages, and they begin with fear God. In, you know, know, we come into verse 6 and 7, it says fear God and give glory to Him. And then it says in, when you come down to the end, you come to the third angel's message, then you finish in verse 12, and it says, here are they that keep the commandments of God. So it begins with, Fear God, and it ends with, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man at the end of time. Solomon's words are summed up with God's people at the end of time. Fear God and keep his commandments. It says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The testimony is in chapter 12. Here are they that... Uh, that have the faith of Jesus in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. So God's people are to fear him, keep his commandments by faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to find that this is righteousness by faith. But before we go into that, we need to try to even get an idea of what righteousness is. Many times in church we used... Phrases We use, you know, lingo that is kind of religious and we just kind of anticipate or expect that everybody understands what it means. But many times we don't have a good grasp of what it means. So let's try to figure out from a biblical perspective, what is righteousness? Sometimes to find out what something is, it's good to find out what it is not. The Bible says in First John chapter 5, verse 17, all unrighteousness. How's that one? Is that one working? Good, good. Thank you. So 1 John 5, 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin that is not unto death. Now, unrighteousness is sin. Now, you may remember 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So sin is breaking the law, and unrighteousness is sin. So that means unrighteousness is breaking the law. You follow? So unrighteousness, the opposite of righteousness, is breaking the law. So then what would the opposite of unrighteousness be? It would be keeping the law, which would be righteousness. That's right. So righteousness would be keeping the law. So then we think about that, and we think, well, that's pretty simple then. If I want to be righteous, all I need to do is what? Keep the law. But have you ever tried that before? How successful have you been this last month? Have you kept it all this last month? So you know what it is, but we struggle to actually fulfill what the Word of God says. So if righteousness has to do with keeping the law, which it does, I believe wholeheartedly that it does, how do we actually come to the point where we do that in our lives in actuality and where do we gain the power to do such a thing? You know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 7, hearken unto me ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Hearken unto me ye that know righteousness so who are the people that know righteousness? The people in whose heart is my law. So once again, that law and righteousness are connected. When God's law is written in your heart, that is righteousness. But how do we experience that? Well, we know it must be by faith, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But the Holy Spirit is the one who writes the law in your hearts and in your minds. The Bible says that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15 and 16. It says that the Holy Spirit writes his law in our minds and in our hearts. So we need a a power outside of ourselves in order to actually keep God's law. And we need that law that God wrote. We need it not on just simply tables of stone. Because when it's on the stone, can the stones help you or save you? No, they're just stones, right? But when the Holy Spirit takes that law and puts it in your heart, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 40, verse 6 through 8, it's a prophecy of Jesus. The reason we know it's a prophecy is because Hebrews chapter eight or Hebrews chapter ten tells us. Well, that those verses were speaking of Jesus. But Hebrews chapter Psalms chapter forty verse six says, "Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears have you opened. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, this is speaking of Jesus. Then I said, Lo, I come in the volume of the." Book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Yea, your law is within my heart. So the Bible said that God's law was written in Jesus' heart, and the result of that is that Jesus delighted to do God's law. He delighted to do it. Now, when I was not in a saving relationship with Jesus, I delighted to, my delight was in breaking God's law. Yes or no? I mean, maybe you, you weren't in a, you know, sinful lifestyle, right? All of us were at some point, but meaning, even if we were raised in a Christian home, that before we gave our heart to the Lord, we have these natural tendencies to fight against God. And I enjoyed sin, but it never brought me true peace. Meaning, I would enjoy the act of sin, the experience of it, but then afterward, there would be an emptiness in my life. I would wake up empty. So I enjoyed the sin itself, but then there would be an emptiness that would come from it. So what do we see here? But it says that Jesus delighted to do God's will, his law, because God's law was in his heart. The New Covenant experience is when the Holy Spirit writes the law in your mind and in your heart. And that means God will bring you from enjoying breaking the law, and when he writes his law in your heart, you will delight to do God's will you get the point. You could actually get to the point where you enjoy doing God's will. Isn't that good news? The gospel is the good news because God can take you from a person who has zero, zero interest in reading this book. Maybe not interest. Maybe you actually really don't want to read. Actually, you despise the idea of reading it, right? But the Bible tells us, and it says in Romans chapter 8, That the carnal mind, the natural mind, the natural human, as I was, is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. You follow? The Bible says you are naturally an enemy of the word of God, and naturally you don't like this book. So if you don't like this book, that is not unusual. That is natural. The natural man doesn't like it. But the Bible tells us that when we are born again, a change comes into our life. And 1 Peter 1.23 says being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the what? By the word of God. You are born again by the word of God. And I shared a little bit about it last night, but I had an atheist challenge me. I had an atheist who came to me. And actually, I came to him. I started talking with him. And, and he said, so this is before I had given my life. Well, actually, no, I just started giving my life to God. I was going to a charismatic church at the time. And uh, so, but, but it was all about emotions. I didn't read the Bible. It was just about the excitement of the music and the dancing and all the things that were going on there. And, you know, there were people speaking in tongues and all the excitement that was taking place. But I wasn't reading the Bible because I wasn't interested in that. I had a carnal mind. I had a carnal heart. I had zero desire to read the word of God. But I met an atheist, and I was talking to him, and and he said to me, he said, so you're a Christian? I said, yes. He said, "Um, tell me the Ten Commandments. I had never read the Bible. Do you think I knew what the Ten Commandments were? I could have maybe thought, like, don't kill people? I mean, that might have been, like, the extent of what, but actually, I don't think anything, even that came to mind. That's how shallow my understanding of the word was. And then he said, so you're a Christian. You don't even know the Ten Commandments. And I realized I look like a fool. Then he said to me, so you're a Christian. I said, yes. He said, have you read the Bible? And what could I say? No, he said, you, you believe in the Bible? I said, yes. He said, how could you believe a book you've never even read? That was a good point, wasn't it? Why would you, read a book that, why would you believe in a book that you've never even read? And uh, I realized I look like an utter fool, and so... I thought about it, and out of sheer pride, I decided I am never going to have someone ask me again if I've read the Bible. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to read it so that this never happens again. And that's what I did. I, re- I went home, and I started, I started with the New Testament. I read through the New Testament. Later on, I went through the Old Testament, and I was reading through the Bible. And, but it was during that process of reading through the Bible that my heart was really changed. But I want to clarify. I didn't like reading it when I began. I was doing it out of sheer pride so that I wouldn't, you know, have anybody ask me if I I ever read the Bible. It was pure pride. But the Bible says you are born again by the word of God. And as I spent that time, yet my heart was opening to God day after day after day. Changes began to take place. God began to give me victory over, you know, chewing tobacco and smoking and these different kinds of things. The changes began to take place as I spent time in the Word of God. So if you don't enjoy or you don't spend time in the Word of God, that's not unusual. But I want to challenge you to do it anyway, even if you don't like it. And if you open your heart to God, you will get to the point where you actually delight to do God's will because he will begin to write his law in your mind and in your heart and you'll actually get to the point where you enjoy this book you begin to love it you don't want to miss a day with without spending time with Jesus and this is what has happened in my life that's one of the reasons I'm so interested in the word of God because it was this book that changed me and so I want to challenge you don't miss a day even if you don't like it even if you feel like in the beginning like i remember so i started reading like crazy you know i uh, i went to the i went to the mission college and while i was there one of the uh, my roommate who i don't even know who he is to be honest with you because it was such a short time he was there for a few, two weeks maybe, and uh, he was an Asian guy. He was probably Korean. I'm not even sure, but he probably was. And uh, he was he was in the he was in the bed next to me. And I had just become an Adventist in the year 2000. I was going to Calvin College in Grand Rapids, and uh, became an Adventist. Left Calvin, went to the mission mission college. While I was there. Uh, so it's totally different. Now I'm with a bunch of vegans. I've never, you know, eaten vegan food in my life. I was eating chicken McNuggets from McDonald's as I'm driving into the school, you know, for the very first time. And here I am at a school that's totally vegan and, and it's just totally different from my experience. It was very strange. But my roommate, I didn't know how a Seventh-day Adventist lived. I had no idea because I hadn't been around him but for like two weeks I just got baptized. And so I knew nothing. Maybe Maybe a month at most. And so I get there and I thought, well, what do, what do Adventists do? And so I eat with them when it's time to eat. I, I get my roommate and I, I, uh, I, you know, at 5 o'clock in the morning, he wakes up and, and I hear some shuffling and I look over and he, he just rolls out of bed. He doesn't even stand up. He just rolls out of bed and he kneels down and he starts praying. And so I saw that and I thought, oh, That's what a Seventh-day Adventist does. And so I rolled out of bed and I started praying there at 5 o'clock in the morning. And then he went on, you know, and he had devotions. And he had devotions from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock. And so that's what an Adventist does. So I read my Bible until 8 o'clock there and, you know, had my three hours of devotions. Then I went to breakfast because that's what a Seventh-day Adventist does, obviously. I mean, what else do they do? I mean, this is the one. This is the first time I've seen one in person, you know, other than, you know, seeing in the evangelistic meeting. And so there I am every day. I'm reading my Bible for three hours every day. And I remember uh, Pastor Torres came up to me at one point. He said, Chad, this is kind of the way he talks. He said, Chad, what did you have for devotions today? And remember, I had just read for three hours. I looked at him, and I said, I don't know. (laughs) I had no idea, right? You would think after three hours you would get some kind of nugget, right? Something you must have gotten out of it. But I, I think literally, I mean... You know, I, I, I think at that point, my mind wasn't even hardly strong enough to retain the great things I was reading. And so you think, well, then it was worthless. I don't believe it was. God was using that time within that slowly, it's like he was, he was inoculating me or just filling me with these things slowly, slowly. And so it, at first, it did seem like I got very little out of it. I would hear other people and share the things that they would get out of the word, and I would think, man, I, I didn't get something great like that out of it, right? But it just kept reading day after day, and I could remember very little. But over time, it began to come together like a beautiful puzzle, right? At first, it just looks like a bunch of pieces that don't make any sense. But slowly, they start fitting together. Slowly, they start making sense. And at some point, it makes a very beautiful picture when it all comes together and not like I know all of it now, not like it's fully all come together, but now it's so much more beautiful than it was in the beginning, and now I get so much more out of it when I meditate on God's word than I did in the beginning. So if you struggle to read the Bible, I would challenge you to do it anyway. Spend that time day after day, and God will change your heart as you go forward, and the Holy Spirit, if you open your heart to the Spirit, will write the law in your mind and in your heart gotten far off my message of righteousness by faith, but I'm going to make it simple. God has given us his word that he will write in our minds and in our hearts. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 gives us a picture of a man who is a great example of righteousness by faith. So we know that righteousness has to do with the law, keeping the law. But the trouble is, on our own, it's actually impossible for us to keep the law. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. But the Bible prophesies something that seems almost crazy. It prophesies, which we already stated, Roman, or Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Does the Bible prophesy that there will be a people at the end of time who keep the commandments, yes or no? Do you think the Bible's right? If it's right, then it actually must be possible to keep the commandments of God. But you say, but I haven't been very successful this last month doing that. Well, you shouldn't base what's true in the Bible based upon your experience. We should rather say, hey, if God says it, maybe he knows something I don't know. Maybe God is right, even when I don't see how it could be right in my life. And I'll give you an example. We're going to read from Romans chapter 4, but before we do, I want to give you the background story. It's a story of a man by the name of Abram, who became Abraham. And to make the story very simple, back in Genesis chapter 15, 16, and so forth, uh, in Genesis chapter 15, Abram has not had a child yet. And in verse 5 and 6, it says, And Abraham brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if you be able to number them. And he said, So shall your seed be. Like all those stars in the heaven, your seed are going to be like, you're going to have tons of children. So shall your seed be. And then it says, And he, Abram, believed God, and he counted it to him, to Abraham, for righteousness. Abraham believed that God was going to give him a child, and God says, that's righteousness by faith. Why? That's such a strange story, meaning most of us probably can't really, we don't, we, we, it's like, how do, how do I apply that to my life? A, a guy who's almost 100 ha- is going to have a baby, and he, his wife's never had a baby, and she's going to be 90, and she's never had a baby, and they're the example of righteousness by faith. I just don't see how that fits with my life. But why would Abraham be such a great example of righteousness by faith? So he could not have a child, but God said he was gonna have a child, and he said, okay, I trust God, and God said, that's righteousness. That's righteousness by faith. And the New Testament says, that man is a great example of righteousness by faith. Well, let's see what Paul says about it in Romans chapter four, beginning in verse, verse 19. And being not weak in faith, Meaning he was strong in faith. Abraham was strong in faith. It says he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So it says Abraham was not weak in faith. He was strong in faith. And then it says he did not consider his own body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So here's the thing. Could Abraham naturally have a baby at this point? Yes or no? No. Could his wife, did his wife have the physical capability of having a baby at the age of 90? Yes or no? So their bodies, in this sense, were as good as dead. Right? Her womb could not produce a child. Impossible. So her body could not produce what God said it could produce. So meaning... Abraham could have, when God says you're going to have a child, he could have said, that is ridiculous. God is prophesying something that is impossible. It's impossible for a 90-year-old woman to have a child, and she would have been right, or he would have been right, right? It's impossible. With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. So, Abraham, it says he did not consider his own body now dead. He didn't think about his flesh. Think about this Is your flesh capable of keeping the commandments of God, yes or no? It's not capable. It is not capable, uh, meaning you can't. So, in actuality, that prophecy here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus sounds like it is impossible. And actually, I think it is, with men, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. So Abraham didn't think about, is my body? Because you could think about it, you could say, man, my parents, they struggled with anger, and so I'm an angry person. My parents struggled with lust, so I'm a lustful person. My parents were heavy drinkers, so I struggle with that. Right? Or whatever it is. You say, well, Chad, those aren't all my things. But whatever it is that you, your family struggled with, and so then you have this tendency to be the same way. So your flesh has a tendency to do certain things. And on your own, you generally replicate some of the characteristics of your family, and some of them you pick up on your own, meaning you you cultivate certain negative tendencies in your own life. Tendencies in your own life. But the reality is this, is you could look at your own body, and you could say, no, my body cannot keep the commandments of God, and you would be right. But Abraham didn't look at his flesh. He looked at God in his word. He said, God, if you said it, you must have something incredible in store. You must have something incredible in store. And God said, that is righteousness. What do you mean? Meaning believing God can do in your flesh that which is impossible. We're not talking about making holy flesh. But we're talking about that God can do in a human being. He can make a sinner a saint. He can make a sinner someone who overcomes temptation and he looks down through the ages and he sees at the end of time when temptation is greater than any other time in earth's history. When we live in a day-to-day, meaning it used to be that if somebody wanted to sin, certain sins, you had to go buy a dirty magazine in the store and, you know, look like a goober when you did it. But nobody has to go into a store anymore because it's all over the internet for free. And you can do it on your cell phone and nobody even knows except for it's just between you and, you know, the NSA. You know, it's just between you and Google. You know, they know all these things that you've done. You know, they have your record or whatever. It's just between you and them. And, but, but your friends don't know. Just Google knows, you know, or whatever, you know. But you get the point. So the point is we can do it in a way that is very secretive so that nobody around us knows what we're doing, the sins we're doing. There's something for everybody so we live in a time where I think it is basically as tempting as it ever possibly could be. I mean, maybe they'll come up with something later this year that'll be more tempting. But the point is, we're living at the probably the most tempting time in earth's history. And yet God, through his, his foresight, looks down through the, at the end of time and he says, there's going to be a group of people at that time who, in the midst of the greatest temptation on all of earth's history, people are going to overcome temptation. But you may say, but that's impossible we could look at our flesh and say it is not possible in my life and here's the point it's not but with me it is impossible but not with God for with God all things are possible the Holy Spirit is what we need to come into our lives we need to behold the Son of God we need to spend time with Jesus daily looking at him on the cross looking at how he how he treated other people how in his times of temptation he was praying for others as someone was nailing him to a cross, instead of getting angry and saying, you know, some rude words to this man, he prays for the guy. And how would our lives be changed when our spouses or family members or coworkers or boss or somebody is doing something to us that would annoy or hurt us, instead of getting angry and going over and over why we're angry as can be at this individual, instead we pray for them. How would that change our lives, Right? It would change us. And as we invite Jesus into our lives, as we behold him, and we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to come and write his law in our minds and in our hearts, it would bring us to the point, like Jesus, that we would say, I delight to do your will, O God, for your law is within my heart. God can bring you to the point where you actually enjoy to do God's will. This is what he's going to do. He's going to have a group of people at the end of time that love him supremely and as a result love their neighbor as themselves and will live out his law. And they will not look at their flesh and they will not say this is impossible. They will say, okay, it is impossible. But since God prophesied this, he has something amazing that he's gonna do in my life because I'm living at the end of time. I'm living at the end of time and Jesus wants to make me victorious. But first of all, and I wanna close with this, in order to actually have this experience, we need to believe that God is actually willing to forgive us personally. Not just the lady down the pew from you or some other person. Yes, he could forgive them, but not me. My sins are too great. We actually have to believe that he could truly forgive me. And I want to close with a story. You've maybe heard it before. It's a great story. and It's a story of a man young man who was living with his parents just a young man at this point and he's he had become more and more rebellious he had two very godly very christian parents who had tried to raise him just the way that they thought right and you know when he was when he was young maybe he loved god but it began to fade away and he began to think there was a life out there there was joy in the world that he could find and if he would just be set free from the bondage of his parents he would find true peace true happiness and so he began to be rebellious, he began to fight with his parents, he began to argue with them. He would get to the point where he would even argue in, in front of their, their you know, friends and he would insult them to their face. And one particular day, he was yelling at his mother and his father and he said, Dad, I am, I'm sick of it, I'm sick of living with you with all these rules and regulations. I wish you would just give me my inheritance and I would leave you and I would, I would go out and I would live the good life. And his dad and his mother were broken hearted, but his father finally said, all right, I will do this. And he brought him, he brought him his inheritance. He actually had money saved up for an inheritance for his son, and he gave it to him. And his son took off. And he, he began to live a life of sin. He became a, a drinker and a partying, and he was with women and just living a life of sin. And he found enjoyment in the midst of it, and he always would wake up empty every morning he would be empty but then he he, there was always something to cover it up there was a drink there was a drug there was a relationship there was you know an illicit relationship with a young lady that could that could cover up the guilt the shame the sorrow the emptiness and so he always had enough to cover it up and and he was given a lot of money and so he he was going forward he had a lot of friends he was very very popular but what he found was over the years, as his money began to dwindle, he began to discover so too his friends began to disappear. And they began to go away one by one, and the ladies began to leave, and, and he began to realize he was just about down to nothing, and he couldn't buy the drinks for all the people at the bar, and he couldn't, he couldn't you know, buy the cigarettes or the alcohol or the drugs for everybody anymore. And as it was going away, so too his friends were gone and He was getting down to his very last several dollars. And he began, you know, as he was getting less and less, the guilt was coming over him, and he was thinking back on what his parents had said, how there was no true joy in this life that he would live, and yet he thought he would find it, but he never found it. He found temporary pleasure, the passing pleasures of sin for a season. The Bible says sin is, there's pleasure in it, but it says they're the passing pleasures of sin for a season. Seasons come and go. And these, these, this happiness would, was very temporary. And he finally got to the point where he, he, he felt guilty and he thought, my parents were right all along. Everything they said, and he thought about how kind they were, how long-suffering, how patient they were with him, and how they had done all these things. And he thought, you know what, they were right about all of it. I wish I would have just listened to them. I wish I wouldn't have wasted this all. And so he took some of his last money, he had just a little bit of money left, he took a coin, he went off to an old payphone back in the days when there were payphones, and he put it in, and he called his mother, he hadn't talked to his family for years, and he heard, on the other end, he heard his mother's voice, hello? And he choked up. And he heard again, hello, is anybody there? And he said, mom? And she said, son, where are you? And he began to talk with me. He said, Mom, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I've said about you, about Dad, in front of your friends, and I've taken all your money, and I've wasted it, and I'm, I'm so sorry. And I, and, and I realize I can never be forgiven for what I have done. I could never be forgiven. And he said, Mom, can you tell Dad how sorry I am? And I recognize he could probably never forgive me. But I'm going to take some of the last money that I have. I'm going to take a train ride past home. And as I head past the home, can you ask dad that if he, if he can find it in his heart to forgive me, that he will simply take a white sheet or something white and he would hang it from the banister of the house, and that will be a sign that he is willing to forgive me for what I've done. But I recognize he probably can't. But I'm so sorry. Sorry. And then he hung up the phone. He then made his way to the train station. And with some of his very last dollars, he bought himself a train ticket that would go past his home. And he boarded the train. He sat down. It was one of the trains where you have seats facing each other. And so there were people sitting next to him and there's someone across from him facing right toward him. And as he was there, he would hang his head low and put his head in his hands, He would begin to tear up, and at times it was even worse. He would literally begin to shake, and he was sobbing. He was sobbing just thinking about this, feeling such tremendous guilt, thinking my parents could never forgive me. My father could never forgive me. And at one point, the man sitting across from him, a man who was well-dressed, he he said, son, are, are, are you okay? He looked to him, and he he looked up with tears in his eyes, and he said, you know, I've, I've been better. He said, son, what's going on? And he told him the whole story of how he had turned away from his family, lived a life of sin, and he had run out of everything. He had wasted his life, wasted his health, wasted the best years of his life on this life of sin. And, and he told him, I'm on my way home, and he told him the whole story. And he found out after conversing with this man that it ended up that he was a minister. The man across from him was a minister. And when he found that out, they were getting closer and closer to his family's old house there. And he said, Pastor, I'd like to ask for a favor from you. The minister said, what is it? He said, soon after they were driving through, the 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 train was going through the forest, and so there were trees on both sides, and, you know, light kind of peeking through the tops of the trees, but that was it. And he said, Pastor, within a few miles, we're going to come out of this forest, and on this side of the train, when you look up here, when we come out, when the, when the trees open up and there'll be a field that goes up, and that field, that hill will go up to a, to a house, a white house up there on the hill, that very first place is my parents' home. You can't miss it when we come out of the forest. He said, I can't even look. I can't even look. But I asked my mother that if my father could find it in his heart to forgive me, that he would put out a white sheet there on the banister of the house, and that would be a sign that my father would forgive me, and he would take me back. Pastor, would you watch? I can't even look. Can you let me know what you see when we come out of the forest? And the minister said, son, I'd be happy to do that young man put his head down low and once again he began to sob. He was shaking, thinking of the guilt and all he had done and how he had wasted his life. And as he was thinking, he could never, never forgive me. He heard a shout, son, look. And the minister was pointing out the window. And the son, this young man, whipped his head up. He looked out the window and there was that field that led up to his parents' house and he saw that old white house of his parents. And not only did he see a Sheet hanging from the banister. He saw every white cloth his father could find in the house. Every bed sheet hanging from the roof. Every white handkerchief on the front lawn. Every white piece of cloth his father could find. And the last thing the minister saw were the feet of that young man running out from the train toward his parents' house. Sometimes we feel like God cannot forgive me. I've done too many things. God can give me victory. Maybe somebody else, yes, but not me. Friends, with God, it is impossible. I'm sorry, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Friends, Jesus will give his people the victory. We, like Abraham, can trust that God can give the righteousness by faith that if we trust him, he can fulfill. Not only cover us with a robe of righteousness, but he can fill our lives with the righteousness that is lived out by us by his power. Friends, Jesus can forgive. He says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. All unrighteousness. I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads just now. And while all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, maybe there's someone here who has struggled to believe that Jesus could forgive you, that the Father could forgive you. But as Jesus was hung upon the cross, as his white garment was taken from him, and even this, too, is a symbol to us, that his righteousness would be handed out, that he can give us, he can cover us. But not only that, he can fill us with his righteousness. Maybe you've struggled to believe that he could forgive you. But maybe you want to say, Jesus, I want to believe with all of my heart that you can forgive me and that you can cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Is there someone here who says, Jesus, I want that? Would you raise your hand right now? You want to accept the righteousness that is by faith. Would you raise your hand where you are just now? You may put your hands down. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your love that you care for us, that you are willing to forgive us. We may feel like you cannot forgive, that we cannot raise our our eyes to heaven, but we, as it were in the story, we beat our breast and and we just feel that we are not worthy, and it's true, we're not worthy. But we thank you that all the worthiness is in your son and that we can be given his righteousness, that our filthy rags can be taken away. We can be covered with a robe of righteousness and filled with with the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the sign that you want to forgive every single one of us. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen.
1: close our service today with hymn 99. God will take care of you. Let's all stand together as we sing.